Uh, if you are visiting with us or if you're new with us this morning, uh, we've been, uh, we, a couple of weeks ago we started a series in the book of Hebrews, um, and that's what we're going to continue with this morning. Um, at Village, we, we tend to just take a book of the Bible and work our way through it, um, and we're in the book of Hebrews at the minute. Um, we've, called, we've called this series, Jesus is Better, because that's really the, the, the grand theme of this whole book. Uh, this book of Hebrews is about how Jesus is better than anything else in our lives. It's particularly relating to the, the Old Testament, how Jesus is the fulfillment of that, and is even better than the salvation that's offered in the Old Testament. Um, and this is really what we said, and this is what we keep in mind at the start, and just a reminder, here we are. Uh, Hebrews is designed to leave us with no doubt that Jesus Christ is ultimately and completely superior to everything that came before him, and so we should push deeper into our relationship with him and not fall away from him. And that's really what we're looking at this morning, not falling away from him. Uh, Haley and I have been married for eight years. Um, sometimes it feels like a lot longer, and sometimes it feels like a lot, uh, a lot shorter. Um, and you can decide which one's good and which one's bad. Um, they're both good. Um, and over the years, you get to know each other pretty well. We get to know each other, like uh, what you like, what you dislike, uh, what we have in common, what we don't have in common. And uh, I'm kind of glad she went out for this bit. It's safe to say that we do not have the same music in common. Uh, that's just a given. Uh, Haley is into the like kind of 90s pop classics. Anyone? Anyone in the room? Yeah. So she'll love a bit of Take That or All Saints or Shakira or um, name any one of those terrible, terrible bands. Um, if there was a Venn diagram of where our music tastes kind of cross-section, that wee bit in the middle would be probably like uh, All Saints and Radiohead. That's probably where we would meet. That's about as close as I can get because we're both around in the 90s. Um, but when it came to our wedding, I got to pick the music. I, I did get to pick the music. I think I was allowed to do that. Um, and uh, one thing that Haley and I definitely do have in common is our love for the sea. And so uh, during the ceremony, I, I asked my sister to, to come and sing a song by uh, an Irish guy called Declan O'Rourke. Uh, and he has a song called We Didn't Mean to Go to Sea. And I love this song. Um, it's a, it tells a story of a couple who are they're, they're so in love and, and they end up being so mesmerized by each other that they end up in a boat, uh, they fall asleep and they just drift out to sea. It's very, very romantic. It goes like this. It says, then you climb down into my arms and close your eyes. It's very romantic. Uh, and when we awoke, we have been drifting. We didn't mean to go to sea. We didn't mean to drift away. We never planned to up and leave. But still the, took, the sea took us away. We saw no lands on the horizon, no distant shores along the fray. Yet all the more we find ourselves when we got lost at sea that day. Isn't that beautiful? Um, and it is lovely. Just drifting with the person you're in love with. You're so in love that you don't even notice that you've been drifting overnight. Literally being removed from real life so that all you have is just that, that person that you're in love with. But... Uh, what this song doesn't tell us is what happen, happens next, right? Uh, I mean, did they wake up in the morning and be like, oh my goodness, we've been drifting all night and now we're lost at sea. Uh, are they still lost at sea? Or did they manage to hoist a sail and get back to land? Are they drifting still? We just don't know. They've been drifting. And, and I think, seriously, there is something appealing about drifting to all of us. Like when you hear a song like that, when I listen to that song, I think that sounds incredible. Drifting on these calm waters out to sea and all is well. But drifting isn't hardly, is hardly ever a good thing, is it? Um, when boats are just drifting, it doesn't end well usually. Uh, shipwrecks happen when, when vessels drift out onto rocks. 
or oil spills happen, like a few weeks ago in Mauritius, you remember that terrible oil spill? Still, that the effects of that will be felt for years. An oil spill when, when a tanker drifts on the shallow ground, into shallow water, sorry. And it's the danger of drifting that, that our passage in Hebrews is talking about this morning. So we're going to read together Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. Um, so if you have a Bible, like turn that up. That's where we're going to be. Um, and this is what it says, Hebrews, 2, chapter, or Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. It says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. For it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Um, The book of Hebrews uses a lot of this kind of seafaring nautical language. Um, It speaks of anchors in chapter 6. It speaks of throwing things overboard. And here, the author's talking about drifting away, and it's very much a nautical term. Uh, Maybe he was a a sailor, or maybe he was used at Bain at Sea. We we don't know. Um, But there's three things that that, that we want to think about this morning from this passage. Three things. Uh, The danger of drifting away, how to keep from drifting, and our motivation to stay on course. The danger of drifting away, how to keep from drifting, and our motivation to stay on course. So firstly, the danger of drifting. The warning is clear here in verse 1. Be careful not to drift away. He says, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Uh, One of the ancient symbols for the church is a ship. I'm sure you've heard of this, or maybe even seen car bumper stickers and all that kind of stuff that Americans like to do. Sorry if you're American, that wasn't meant to offend anyone. Um, And it's almost here as if we're getting this picture of the church as a ship. And the the ship is sailing in choppy and stormy waters of the world in danger of drifting away. Of drifting away from from what they have heard, from the message of Jesus, from from the good news of Jesus, from the gospel. Uh, Jesus who has brought us what verse 3 calls a great salvation. And I think if the danger of drifting was real for the church 2,000 years ago when this was written... It's a very real threat for us now. Um, I, I think it's pretty clear that, that we are, I know there's a few different generations in the room, but we are generally a, an age or a generation of drifters, right? Uh, there's an American critic and an author, uh, uh, Lewis Cronenberger, and he says, the trouble with our age is that it is all signpost and no destination. I love that. It's all signpost and no destination. 
We're trained by the world to spend all our time trying to find our identity and a purpose and a reason to, to, to live, our goal, to be ourselves, to figure out who we are, to find ourselves. And we spend so much of our lives chasing these things and trying try to figure out what our goal, or our purpose is that we actually forget to live our lives. Um, a tenth of people change their job every year. This is the UK. A tenth of people change their job every year between 2000 and 2018. Every year. Can you imagine that level of change in your life? And, and actually, the, the average is that, that most people change their job throughout their career every two and a half years. Every two and a half years changing your job. We've become a society of drifters. We've become a society of seekers and consumers. We're always looking for the next experience, for the, for the, for the next product, for the next thing that's going to give us purpose. The average person... I watched that thing, the, the Social Dilemma, the documentary on Netflix, definitely worth a watch. The average person spends two hours and 22 minutes on social media every day. Two hours and 22, that's a long time. That's a long time on social media. We're a, people of gener we're a generation of people stuck in the search for never-to-be-found satisfaction. And, and we go, okay, well, we're different, we're Christians. Well, that's not necessarily true because we're a product of, of the society that we live in. More than anything, that's what shapes us. And so we are, are just as much all signposts and no generation. We're a generation of drifters. The world trains us to drift and then creates a system in which it's hard to stop drifting. And I'm sure you've, already, you've all felt this in some way. Well, I need to find my purpose. I need to find my goal. What am I looking for? On to the next thing, on to the next thing. You watch a video, and if it's not done in like a minute, you're like, I'm done with this. I need everything I get in like a minute. Scroll on the next one. And this passage in Hebrews that God's telling us this morning that it's possible to just drift in your faith as well. And so I wonder, uh, right at the start, I want to ask this question. Is that you? Are you drifting? Are you drifting in your life? Are you drifting in your faith? Are you drifting when it comes to your relationship with Jesus? Uh, yeah, you say, yeah, well, I, you know, I come to church gatherings and I'm part of missional community. Um, but, but maybe that's it. Maybe apart from showing up to the odd thing here or there, you are just drifting. Maybe the gospel isn't shaping your life. Um, maybe Jesus doesn't have the highest place in your affections. Maybe your first concern isn't the kingdom of God. You're just drifting just being carried along by whatever direction the tide is flowing. And the language that Hebrews uses here uh, when it talks about drifting it, it is this nautical uh, term. It's used to describe a couple of things. It's that feeling when a ring slips off your finger, you know. And here's the thing about that. You, you, I do this all the time in my wedding ring. You, you, don't, you don't feel it gradually slipping off and you're like, oh my goodness, my ring's slipping off. All of a sudden it's like, where is my ring? It's gone. It gradually slips off and then you're like, it's gone. But the other image for, for this uh, idea of drifting is, is when an anchor is on the seabed and it slips and it moves and suddenly your, your, your boat is adrift. Uh, there's a YouTube channel I follow. I, yeah, I know I'm a bit weird, but it's called The Fish Locker and uh, it's basically a guy and his family and they love fishing and so he, 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 does wee, he does lots of cool things, coastal foraging and all this kind of stuff. But he has a wee boat. And he has a few videos where he does overnight fishing. So he sails wee boat out to a reef or a shipwreck and he'll put down his anchor and he'll fish there all night. So he'll fish well into the night till probably like three o'clock in the morning when the tide starts to turn and then he'll lie down and go to sleep and get up in the morning and continue fishing. And, and 
the, the important thing, it's really important in that situation, especially when he's lying down sleeping in the boat, that his anchor doesn't drift, that his anchor doesn't come loose. Because if it did, he'd be sleeping and he would drift into the rocks or maybe he'd drift uh, out to sea or maybe he would drift even into the, the path of oncoming boats or tankers or ships or whatever. And see, here's the thing about drifting. It's never intentional, is it? And it's really, really hard to notice. Drifting is easy. It doesn't take any effort. In fact, it can often be pleasurable. It's nice. Like the song, like you're like, yes, I love that idea of just like being with the person I love and just drifting. Isn't that great? Just drifting away. Drifting away from God isn't something that you set out to do. It's not something that, that you, you want to do. It, this isn't like when something happens in your life and you make a conscious decision to, to not follow Jesus anymore, although that does happen. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he has this book called Mere Christianity. Recommend it, even if, if, you, if you're not a Christian and you're thinking, you know, it's, a, it's just an incredible book. If you are a Christian, read it. If you're not a Christian, read it. It's called Mere Christianity. And he says, if you examined a hundred people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would, have been tur- would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? Isn't that, isn't that true? When you think of like the people, maybe, you've, maybe you have drifted away yourself, or you have friends who, who have left the faith, and you think, well, what happens to them? They just kind of drifted away. Nine times out of ten, that's what happens. That's the danger of drifting. It's so gradual and unnoticeable. And you just keep drifting until you look back one day and, and you realize that you're miles and miles off course. And Hebrews 2 tells us here that, that, that drifting happens when we don't play, pay close attention to the gospel, to the teaching of Jesus, to what verse 3 says is his great salvation. Drifting happens when there are things more valuable in your life than Jesus, when you put other things ahead of him. When, when you don't pay attention to what he says, when you don't pay attention to the gospel. Like, have you ever been on a surfboard or a lilo or maybe just swimming in the sea? We all know this thing. When you're out in the sea and then your mom and dad are over there and you're like playing about and then you look up and you're like, oh, where are they? And you realize they're way over there. That's, I'm sure we've all experienced that. This is like exactly what happens when we drift away from God. We can come to church gowns, we can part of a missional community, we can, uh, we can do all these things, do all the right Christian things. But if we're not paying attention, we're not applying this stuff to our lives, if we're, if we're not keeping our focus on Jesus, if it's just something we do an hour or two every week here or there, then we're drifting. And it's so gradual and so subtle that we don't even notice it's happening. And before you know it, it isn't the gospel that shapes how you see the world. It's whatever social media tells you. Before you know it, you don't care about the things that Jesus cares about. You care about whatever the internet tells you to care about. Before you know it, your self-worth isn't based on the fact that Jesus tells you he loves you. It's based on how many likes you get or how many followers you have. And before you know it, you're not finding satisfaction in Jesus and the salvation and the future that he gives us. You're, You're endlessly chasing satisfaction. And whatever the latest thing is that will try and make you happy. And so again, I want to challenge us to think about this. Me too. Are you drifting? You need to maybe pause for a second and look up at the shore and see if you have drifted. Look back at the beach for a minute. Have you been swept along by the current? Are you just kind of moving along in the water whatever way the tide is going? 
And maybe you're sitting here this morning and, and you're like me this week as I was studying this stuff and you go, man, I, I drift. I do have times where I'm just drifting. Or maybe you're thinking, I've been drifting for a long time. I've been drifting for years. Yes, my heart is prone to wander. I do go through days and weeks of, of drifting. So what do I do? Please help me. Well, I think the warning here in Hebrews, he's, he's trying to give this, the, the, these people, in, it, it, he's writing to um, help. And so that's the next thing we look at, how to keep from drifting. The opposite of drifting, what is it? It's holding fast. It's having a firm anchor. But, but the key thing is, what do we hold fast to? Because if we hold fast to the wrong things, we can still drift, you know? You can think you're holding fast to a log, but the log's going to drift. And verse 1 tells us, what do we hold fast to? We must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. What we have heard, that's, that's the words that Jesus taught us. It's the, it's the gospel. It's all the things that he's just been talking about and that we've studied the past two weeks, how Jesus is better. That's what I'm holding fast to. And this phrase here, pay closer attention to. It's a funny, funny kind of phrase. Um, but, but it doesn't mean like some kind of like, uh, you know, scientific study. We're going into minutia. What this is really talking about here is that we should just simply earnestly devote ourselves to the gospel. That's it. Earnest devotion. That's what it's talking about. It means that we spend more time considering the gospel than, than anything else in our lives. It means that we apply ourselves to the gospel. And we, let it, we apply it to our lives. We let it be applied to our lives. But earnestly, earnestly, being earnestly devoted to the gospel means that the good news that, that, that Jesus died, Jesus rose again, Jesus ascended to heaven, that he is reclaiming and renewing the world, and that he is, wants me to be part of that, that message is the thing that is shaping our lives. That is the thing that, that makes me see the world in the way I see it. That's what being earnestly devoted to the gospel means, to what we have heard. Because we, we, we pay close attention to all kinds of things, don't we? We absolutely do. What kinds of things are you earnestly devoted to? What do you think about more than anything else, right? Honestly, I can spend hours a day, uh, maybe not hours a day, well, probably sometimes hours a day just reading articles about why Man United are so bad right now. That's, honestly, I can spend so long reading about that and doing my head in about that. Um, and it'd probably be a safe bet that most of us, the last thing we do at night and the first thing we do in the morning is look at our phones. <laughs> we probably all do that, right? Um, and you could say, oh, well, actually, I'm on my Bible app on my phone. No, you're not. Come on, be honest with yourself. Behave. Most of us can't even go to the toilet without our phones. I'm not, by the way, I'm not dogging on phones. I'll come back to that in a second. Uh, there was a, in that Social Dilemma documentary that I watched the other night on Netflix, uh, one of the guys, uh, he said, he said uh, when we wake up in the morning, uh, our first question is, do I look at my phone uh, before I pee or while I'm peeing? Because there is no in-between. And, and that's true, isn't it? Like, we know that. Um, it's, and it's not just social media. And, and social media can, can be a great thing. And mobile phones are a great gift. Um, I can't tell if you're waving at me or the kids, but hopefully it's me. Um, but social media, it, it's not just a bad thing, but it can, it can be a vehicle, to, to, a tool that helps us be devoted to other things. For a lot of people, it's their careers. A friend of mine owns his own business, and I see him most mornings, and I was chatting to him this week, and he was just saying that, that, that his work is all he thinks about. He gets up in the morning thinking about it, he goes to work, he comes home, and he's still checking his emails and thinking about the next day and blah, blah, blah. So it goes on. For other people, it's family and friends and relationships and fashion and all these kinds of things. And, and all these things are good gifts that we've been given but they're not meant to be ultimate things. We're not meant to be, they're not meant to be our, of first importance. 
And the challenge for us as Christians is that if we're not earnestly devoting ourselves to the gospel of Jesus, then we're drifting away from it. And we already have seen what that looks like. And verses 2 to 3 give us this, this warning. For since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Very simply, what he's saying is that, listen, you guys know, you, you guys know that, that even in the Old Testament, there, there were con- consequences when you, when you walked away from God's teaching. So how much worse is it going to be for us when we walk away from Jesus? We need to hold fast to what Jesus teaches us. We need to cling to that salvation we have in Jesus. We need to earnestly be devoted to the good news of Jesus. Why? Because in him we have Verse 3, a great salvation. Listen to, listen to how the, the writer of Hebrews describes this message of great salvation. This is what he says. He says, It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard. And God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. What he's saying is that this message of great salvation was given to us by the Lord Himself. Right? He didn't just have someone come down. He didn't just have an angel come down or a prophet and be like, by the way, trust in Jesus and you'll be saved. That's, that's not what happened. He came and he talked about his kingdom. He came and he talked about what his world was going to be like. He delivered it to us himself. God came to earth. The word made, made flesh. He delivered it to us himself. And not only that, he, after Jesus had ascended to heaven after his, his resurrection... His apostles, those he taught it to, went across the world testifying to this. And then God proved this message was true through all the signs and wonders that, that were happening in the church and, and even probably in the church uh, that Hebrews is written to. And so the author is saying, hey guys, listen, you know the importance of this. You know how trustworthy this thing is. You know because it was Jesus that, that delivered it to you himself. And, and you know because God has proved it. And you've seen all the miraculous things that the Holy Spirit is doing in your church. You've seen lives changed. You've seen people transformed. You've seen how amazing this thing is. So please tell me why. Why on earth would you be tempted to hold on to anything else? Why on earth would you be tempted to hold fast to anything else? And that's the question for us this morning. Church, why on earth would we be earnestly devoted to anything except the, the message of Jesus? Why on earth would we be earnestly devoted to anything except the gospel? Why? Why would we? Why would we let anything else take our attention? Why would we try to find hope in anything else? Why would we drift away from it? Because the salvation that we have in God is great. Nothing can offer you what God offers you. Nothing can offer you what we have in Jesus. And you say, well, hey, listen, this is great and all, but how do we do this? How do we earnestly devote ourselves to this? The answer is, a sh- the short answer is, abide with Jesus. This is kind of one of our great themes, uh, not just this year, but for part of our three-year vision for the church, and, and I'll come back to that in a second. Abide with Jesus. Stay close to him. Live with him. Spend time with him. Spend time uh, allowing him to speak to you through what he says to you in the Bible. And find other people to do that with too. I know that's hard at the minute. And, and uh, yesterday we had like a MC leaders uh, 
uh, time together, and we were hearing all the ways people were doing that, and some of you have been getting together in ones and twos, and, and that's great. Do that. Find ways to, to stay in touch and to encourage each other and learn from each other. Learn how to abide with Jesus. Stay with him. Spend time with him. Talk to him. Talk to Jesus. It doesn't have to be fancy or complicated. It's just as simple as thanking God for what he has done and asking him for what you need. That's what I do with Finley every night. Finley, what does the Bible say? Uh, thank God and ask him what you need. It's that simple. Ask God in the small decisions of every day, Lord, what do you think about that? What would you do? What, what, what do you want to do in this situation? Ask yourself, what does the gospel say about this? What does the Bible tell me? How do I apply the gospel to this situation? How is God redeeming this situation? Recently, uh, the elders, have, we, we've been setting goals and, and a direction for our church for the next few years. And, and we, we have uh, three things that we want to focus on for the next three years. Uh, one relating to um, our relationship with Jesus, one relating to our relationship with each other, and one relating to our relationship with our city. And, and that, that first one, our relationship to Jesus, we want to develop a culture of abiding with Jesus. Just simple faith, just simply being with Jesus. We, we, want, we want all of us to know Jesus intimately and to know how to follow him daily in the simple ways and be earnestly devoted to the gospel. We don't want to be a church that's just drifting aimlessly. And here's the amazing thing. The amazing truth is that, that God wants to spend time with you. You know that? Like he, he delights in you. He loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to enjoy you. In the same way as like Timmy and Bex, they want to spend time with Madeline. When they hold her, she is, she is their delight and joy, you know? It's the same. That's how God feels about you. And it's easy to find ourselves just drifting away from that. And maybe you've never considered your drifting, and that's okay. Um, and maybe you do now realize you've been drifting or you're prone to drift. And maybe it's now is the time to put your anchor down again, to, to look up to the beach, realize you've been drifting, and to put your anchor down again and to, to hold fast to Jesus. And so I want to finish with this. Our motivation to stay on course. Um, I feel like I'm milking this nautical metaphor, but that's where we are, so we'll keep going with it. Um, here's the thing. If you're waiting for the perfect time uh, if you're waiting for the perfect time or for, for life to present you with the perfect time to, to come back to Jesus, it's not going to happen. You, by the way, life doesn't get any less busy or, or you'll have more time for contemplation. or That just doesn't happen. You know? I ask our older brothers and sisters, you know, uh, I'm, I'm finding that life is not getting less busy as I get older. It's getting more busy. Life is not going to magically present you with a better time to come back to Jesus because the time to, wait, if you've noticed you've drifted away, the time to stop drifting is now. And for these people in the Hebrews, they had drifted and they were tempted to drift back into the, the Judaism of the Old Testament. They were starting to trust again in the, in the Old Testament laws and the sacrifices and all that kind of stuff. But, but for us, it's probably more like Drifting back into that endless search for satisfaction. Drifting back into just being that dissatisfied generation. That's probably our natural point where we drift to, isn't it? We drift off course a wee bit and we find ourselves unfulfilled, dissatisfied, maybe even uh, lo looking for recognition or, or, or looking for acceptance. 
And maybe, just maybe, we need to take hold of Jesus again. Find the satisfaction that he offers as the ultimate satisfaction. Find the acceptance that the world can't give us. Not really. It's found in him. And here's the thing. The key part of what's going on here is that life is hard. Life is hard. We all know that. And we look around and we don't see all the things that God has promised us happening right now, do we? Um, the writer of Hebrews knew this. And so he, he says this, he, he, quotes this, he quotes actually the Old Testament, he quotes Psalm 8. He says in verses 6 to 8, he said, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now what this is incredible is that this Psalm is actually, yes, it's talking about, it's a prophecy looking forward to Jesus, but it also speaks of the future that is ours if we trust in Jesus, that God remembers his people, God is mindful of his people. And that all those who trust in Jesus will be crowned with glory and honor and will and we'll, we'll have everything in subjection to us. We will reign with Jesus over the new creation forever. That's the future that is ours. And, and the author of, knew that the Hebrews, they had read the Bible. They, they knew the future that was promised to them. And yet, here they were, not in that future, very much not in that future, but in the, in the daily grind of life made much harder by the fact that they were Christians and so they were being oppressed and, and persecuted, opposed because of their faith. All these things are promised uh, in God, this salvation, this, this, this future, this reigning and ruling future, heaven, joy, peace, life, are promised to them. Uh, but where is it? <laughs> That's not our current situation. And if you're anything like me, um, you know how this feels. Have you ever asked, the ether or to God. God, why do you allow this to happen? Why, why have you let this happen? Uh, most of, if you know me, most of you know that a few years ago my sister uh, was diagnosed with leukemia um, and for months and months uh, we prayed and prayed and prayed, God take this disease away, heal, jelly in. Uh, and it wasn't just us, lots of you were praying for her and, and we all felt very loved and supported by that. But there were people in Scotland, in England, in America, in Australia, like literally people praying for her to be healed. And God, in his wisdom, didn't take away the leukemia, not in the way we wanted them to anyway. And when she died, I remember asking, God, why did you, why did you not answer our prayers? Like so many people asking you to do this, why did you not answer that prayer? And it's not just that situation, it's not just about me. There are thousands of examples we could use, couldn't we? We all know that life is tough. We see, turn on the TV and we see thousands of refugees displaced by war. We see people dying because of the color of their skin. We see uh, people being oppressed because of their gender or sexual, sexual persuasion. We see young people's mental health being destroyed by peer pressure. We see families torn apart by grief. And we think, God, how can you allow this to happen? I even think about... Uh, like our other brothers and sisters, Christians in churches around the world being persecuted to the point of death because they say they love Jesus. Because they love Jesus. And we look around and we, it sure doesn't seem like Jesus is in control of everything sometimes. It says here that everything has been put in subjection to him. But sometimes we don't see that. Verse 8 even tells us that the writer of Hebrews, he, he includes himself in this. He says, um, 
he says that we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Jesus, it's like I'm looking around and I can't, I know that I know this, but I can't see how Jesus is in control of all this. And the question is then, well, when we look around and see the world as it is, and we're facing pain and hardship, how do we respond? Do we just drift away? Do we go, well, you know what? Forget this. Like, this obviously isn't working. Whatever. I'm just letting go and I'm drifting away with the tide. Do we let our anchor slip off the rock and get carried out to the sea? Keep that analogy going. <laughs> and because here's the thing, and I, I'm realizing this more and more, it's easy to drift when things are hard, but it's when things are hard that we need to hold fast. It's easy to drift when things get tough, but it's when, <laughs> when it, listen, if there were no tides or no storms, you wouldn't need an anchor, would you? Things are hard that we need to hold fast. And I think the key to all of this, to not drift, especially when we don't see Jesus' fulfilled kingdom yet. This is found right at the end here, and I'm nearly finished. Verses 8 and 9, he says, At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him. You see that? We don't yet see everything in, under Jesus' control. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. That's talking about Jesus coming to earth. Becoming one of us. We see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. Why is he crowned with glory and honor? Because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Yes, we look around at the world. And we don't see, th see things as they will be. We know this, right? We don't yet see a world without pain. We don't yet see a world without injustice. We don't yet see a world without sorrow. But... We see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. Right now, crowned with glory and honor. Jesus who came into this imperfect world precisely so we could see God. That's why Jesus came, so that we could see God and know God. Jesus who entered into suffering so that we could not just follow him into his suffering, but so we can follow him into his glory. And that's a key part. We do have to follow him into suffering. 1 Peter 2.21 says, for, for to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. We know that Christ walked this way before us and because we are in him, we walk the same path, guys. Jesus is crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. And so as his followers, our path to glory involves suffering. He went through suffering to reach glory, and so it will be the same for us too. And so we have this period right now where, where we see that the world is not the way that it will one day be. Suffering and persecution and oppression and opposition. And by the way, most of the time for us, that opposition to our Christian faith, it's really subtle, isn't it? I mean, sometimes it's pretty direct, uh, but most of the time it's really, really suffering. We feel at odds with the world. But instead of letting that cause us to take our eyes off Jesus and drift away, gives us encouragement. It gives us uh, endurance to hold fast. You see, we, we live in this in-between time, right? We, we often talk of the now and the not yet. We have the truth and sure hope that, that, that we are saved, that we are in Jesus, and that he is redeeming and renewing his world, that he is, he is bringing his kingdom here. But we're yet to experience the fullness of that. And so sometimes that means that we look around and we can't see 
that Jesus is in control of everything. We can't always see the fruit of our labor. Sometimes it can be hard to see uh, the point of following Jesus. We don't yet see the world to come, but church, here's the truth. We do see Jesus, right? We see him. And in the in-between time, that won't last forever. In fact, one day we'll look back at this in-between time and it'll just be like the blink of an eye. One day, Jesus will wipe away every tear. He's going to do away with suffering and pain and injustice and death. And this is guaranteed to us. Why is that guaranteed to us? How do we know? Because Jesus tasted death for everyone. He experienced death for us. He, the eternal one, died so that we could live eternally. And now he is crowned with glory. And that's the path we're on. That's the trajectory we're on. And while we may not yet be able to see that future that is ours, we do see Jesus. And it's by seeing Jesus that we're able to hold fast and not drift. It's by keeping our eyes fixed on him that we're able to stay on course. By keeping our eyes fixed on him that we don't drift out to sea or get blown onto the rocks. It's by keeping our eyes fixed on him that we can keep going in the face of opposition and persecution. Listen, I know life is hard. I know it's hard to be a Christian. It is. And it is getting harder, it feels like. We often feel at odds with the world. We're often tempted to drift away. But what's the solution? Pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Remember that great salvation we have in Jesus. Remember that he's walked the way of suffering before you. Remember that he is now crowned with glory. And one day you will reign with him. We don't yet see the world to come, but we do now see Jesus who is crowned with glory and honor. So church, let's earnestly be devoted to the gospel. Earnest devotion. Let's remember what we have heard, lest we drift away. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for that message of great salvation that you've brought to us. You delivered to us, not by a messenger, but yourself. God took on flesh, became one of us. Thank you, Lord, that you know what it is to, to live in the, in the in-between times and now and the not yet. You know what it is to, to look around the world and see your not yet fulfilled kingdom. You know what it is to, to face opposition and persecution. You know what it is to, to, to feel uh, separation and grief and loss. And Father, uh, we want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We want to endure because he endured, knowing that he has made our future secure in a way that we could never secure our own future. Father, I pray this morning that we would leave this place uh, with a desire not to drift, the desire to hold fast, the desire to abide with Jesus. I pray that you would uh, help us identify in our lives where we need to come back to you. Holy Spirit, we rely on your help in our lives to do this. In Jesus' name, for his glory alone. Amen.